0: Good afternoon. We're gathering together for this special service of thanksgiving for the life of our dear friend and brother, Roy McMullen. Many of you have made an effort to be here. Thank you. I see familiar faces from across the border, Carrick Cross and many other places. We'll not start a roll call in case we don't get stopped, but I know that your presence here means a great deal. And it is our prayer that you'll find this a place of hope and comfort as we listen to the promises of God and all that he has given to us and bless him as he has given and he has taken away. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me Even though they die, those who believe in me will live and never die. And it is that great resurrection hope to which we look this morning. We welcome you to this place where worship is central in all our activities and our time together is intended to give God glory. Roy's presence will be greatly missed But there's no plans for a lengthy tribute strictly on Roy's instructions. But we come to support a family whose loss is deep and very difficult. And we simply want to stand with you and pray that as we have been enriched with Roy's life and his care We want you to know how much that has meant to us and so Diane and Andrew and Helen and Philip and Jim and Joy and Mark and Margaret and Terry and Gillian and Gerald and Ian and all your family, may you receive the comfort of God himself as we gather together around you and pray that we might fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's pray together. Sovereign Lord, God of all grace and mercy, we come to you at this time of trouble in the assurance that you are a refuge for us and a source of strength. You are our creator and our father. You give us life and call us back to yourself, and we worship you. We thank you that our times are in your hands, and you are wise and good. And we come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he has lived here in this world, and that he understands our sorrows and sympathizes with us in our grief. And we thank you that he has died for our sins and that he rose again. And so, Father, we rejoice in the hope that he has set before us by his resurrection, that he has conquered death and opened the gate of heaven to all who believe. And we come with heavy hearts We remember with gratitude the life of our dear brother Roy and the many treasured memories of him. And we thank you for the rich times of gladness and for sustaining him through trial and illness. We thank you for his life of service, which has touched so many of us here. And our prayer is, Spirit of the living God, would you fall on us again? may you comfort all who mourn and help us to find in sorrow that same spirit as well as in joy, in our doubts as well as in our believing, that we might find comfort in your word and light for the darkness. Through Jesus Christ, the life and hope of the world, we pray. Amen. The program that you have been given will guide us through the service. It's been tastefully designed by Andy and Helen's friend, Sam Bell, and it provides a list of key dates and features of Roy's life. Roy's mother's response to his early childhood illness was to repeat the final lines of a poem that I'm sure many of you have heard Roy repeat again to you. It has become the storyline of his life. God has a plan for every man, and he has one for you. And so as we look back over that plan, which traces a life lived to magnify the Lord, we're going to rejoice together at all that we remember and are thankful for in the life of Roy. We'll refer to him, even though he may not be uh, eulogized in a lengthy tribute. But please join together in recognizing that his desire is that we magnify the Lord. The first hymn expresses the reality of trouble and joy and security in a life lived in God's service and within his love. And it was Roy's desire that this should be sung. So please join in magnifying the Lord as we remember his purposes being worked out in Roy's life and through him in ours. Please stand together together as we sing through all the changing scenes of time. Alec Judd has been a close friend of Roy, and he's going to read the scriptures and pray. And Alec, as I invite you forward and as you do that, maybe you would tell us where your first encounter on Roy's timeline took place. Thank you.
1: I knew uh, Roy for almost 60 years. We were both students at the London Bible College. But our friendship began when I moved to Dublin in 1963 when I became pastor of the Grosvenor Road Church. And it's a, a friendship that I've cherished across the years. We had many outings together, usually with our wives. One of our favourite spots in more recent days was Hillsborough. I don't know how many times we walked around the Hillsborough Lake. We talked about many things. We would encourage each other in the Lord's work. And Roy was a a great encourager. He was a true friend. And I, I had the greatest respect and affection for him over these last more than 50 years. He was one of the Lord's faithful servants. And today we thank God for him. Let's turn now to the only book in all the world that gives us assurance and comfort at a time like this. I want to read from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. It's chapter 5, verses 1 to 10, and at Diane's request, I'm going to read from the New Living Testament. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, when we die and leave these bodies, we will have a home in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in in our present bodies and we long for the day when we will put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will not be spirits without bodies, but we will put on our new heavenly bodies Our dying bodies make us groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and have no bodies at all. We want to slip into our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by everlasting life. God himself has prepared us for this and as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. So we are always confident. Even we know, even we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. That is why we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident. And we would rather be away from these bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. So our aim is to please him, always, whether we are here in this body or away from this body. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatsoever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in our bodies. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, you know our sorrow today, for you know our hearts. But we praise you that we don't sorrow without hope. We know that death is not the end because we have a risen, living, triumphant Saviour. And we have the teaching of your word. But we know, Father, that you don't chide our tears When we lose, those we love. For Jesus wept at the grave of Lazarus. He mingles his tears with ours. He said, and he says to all his disciples, because I live, you will live also. And we thank you that that's true for Roy. We thank You that in Your presence now, He's eternally safe. We do thank You for Him, for all that He means to so many of us. Thank You for His life and testimony. Thank You for all that You accomplished through Him across the years. Thank you for those he led to Christ. Thank you for those he helped and encouraged through the ministry of your word. And thank you for his concern and compassion for those he served. We thank you for his faithfulness. We thank you that your grace abounded in his life and we share in the fragrance of that today. We do pray for Diane Andrew and Philip and all the family circle in their great sense of loss. We pray for Helen and Hannah and Margaret and Terry and German Joy and all the family circle, help them to grasp the comfort of the gospel that their tears may glisten with hope. We pray especially for Diane. We pray that in your goodness and mercy you will give her a divine hug. Surround her with your love. Help her with your grace. Be to her all that she needs in coming days. And what we pray, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus, our victorious Lord. Amen.
0: Thank you, Alec. We make it our aim to please him. And we've sung similar words in the last verse of our first hymn Make you his service your delight, your wants shall be his care. It's stating the obvious to say that Roy was a Baptist, but he clearly understood that his service was not limited to the particular views of the church that he espoused. There are people here today who knew Roy, the pastor and theologian, who delighted in his encounters with all God's servants right across the varied expressions of the Christian faith and right across the globe from Peru to China. But he did invest in the work of the Irish Baptist College. And here's a comment from the current principal, Edwin Ewart. Roy taught the Old Testament at IBC for 11 years in the '70s and '80s, and in more recent times as a guest tutor, he made very significant contribution to the work of training and mentoring, endearing himself to staff and students alike, and many pastors and Christian leaders in Northern Ireland and beyond, some retired and a few still serving. Give thanks to God today. For the life and ministry of Roy McMullen. And many of you are represented here and can say amen to that. And added to that, of course, he worked as the Baptist chaplain at Queen's, and that enabled him to influence for Christ the lives of a great many young people at university. And I had the privilege of working with him in 1987 as an assistant as part of that work. But Windsor, this congregation, is where the majority of us rubbed shoulders with Roy or more likely received a hug from Roy. And his priority here was to encourage and equip people to apply the unchanging truths of Scripture to all aspects of life in contemporary culture. And if Windsor is a place where love is shown and truth is honoured, we can say that we saw it demonstrated in the way Roy combined a tender heart and a tough mind. And there are some areas of ministry that Roy was almost typecast in, and Diane can tell you that many spoke of his reputation for doing a great funeral. No pressure then. But that not only meant that he was sensitive, And supportive to many people at a funeral, but he he carried the enormity of such events, and he conveyed respect for all people who were image bearers of the Creator God. And so it is our privilege together to join together and give thanks for his life. David McMillan followed Roy as the next pastor here when he left to work as chaplain of the hospice. And in a few moments, David is going to come and bring a message from God's Word. But first, Andrew McMullen will read from Matthew's Gospel. And then after David speaks, our present pastor, David Dunlop, will lead us in prayer. Andrew, thank you.
2: just say thank you all for coming. My father's reach extended far beyond what I know to many, many people over many, many years. Thank you for coming and spending today with us at this time. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, He will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats upon his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill in prison and go to visit you? The King will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did that for me.
3: I'd like to add my condolences. To the family uh, in the light of all that's been said. and It's an enormous privilege, and I, I thank you for it, to be able to be involved in this service here today, because it was an enormous privilege to know Roy McMillan, and it was an enormous privilege to in any way be touched by him and affected by him. I was one of those students that you referred to at IBC. He was my tutor. We were in tutor groups. Uh, so for many years, Uh, Roy has been an important influence in my life. Um, I have many memories of his wise counsel, his encouragement, his advice. I have one abiding memory uh, of a trip. Roy Roy was a man who wasn't short of seeing a bargain if he needed to. And I got a phone call from him one day to say that one of these tour organising groups was organising a tour to the Holy Land for ministers and pastors in the hope that we would then bring hordes of church members after us. And uh, Paul Williamson, myself and Roy went on this trip. I think it cost us less than £100 for 10 days in the best hotels, (laughs) all flights. Oh yeah, it was amazing. But one day Roy was getting bored with the trip because he had been many times before and he knew it well. And he took Paul and myself, and we walked through the little streets of Jerusalem. He bought three torches at a stall and batteries, carefully put the batteries in to make sure they worked before he left the stall, (laughs) because he had bought many things in Jerusalem in the past. He took us down some steps. He negotiated with some man who was sitting at an iron gate, and the next thing, the three of us found ourselves walking Hezekiah's Tunnel. It's one of those memories of following Roy down the footpaths of biblical history um, that I will never forget. But I'm sure all of you here today have your own memories, and that's why you're here, to support the family, to reflect on Roy's influence, and to give thanks to God. I want to highlight a few phrases from the passages that were chosen for this service today. Second Corinthians, the passage that Alec read to us, and Matthew 25, the passage that Andrew read to us. Um, There are Bibles in the pews, and if you want to find the passages and look at them, feel free to do that. You'll find this first one in Second Corinthians, I think, on page 1161. The passage that Alec read to us is set in a longer section of that letter to the Corinthians, in which Paul is reflecting on the contrast between the measure of God's kindness, his goodness and his grace, and the frailty of us humans who experience it and who carry it. In chapter four, he speaks of how we have this treasure. He's talking about the light of the knowledge of the glory of God as we look into and follow in the footsteps of the face of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure, Paul says, in jars of clay, these frail human bodies and minds. And then we have the passage that Alec has read for us, in which Paul goes on to contrast the frailty of the earthly tent, the body, with the heavenly dwelling that awaits. Paul doesn't speculate what that future life, what that heavenly dwelling looks like exactly. I don't think that was of interest to Paul. The question must have been asked often many times because in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, some may ask, how are the dead raised with what kind of body will they come? And his answer essentially is, just as we have borne the likeness of Adam, the earthly man, so we will bear the likeness of Jesus, the man from heaven. I suspect his answer didn't satisfy everyone, but his confidence was not based on knowing the details of what a heavenly existence looks like, but based on the confidence and the assurance of the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and the privilege to share in that resurrection life. Which is why there is this very interesting phrase, the first one I want to highlight for you in verse 4, where it says in the New International Version, while we are in this tent, this body, this form of existence, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. We normally and naturally think the other way around. What was life has now been swallowed up in death. And yet the Apostle Paul sees everything exactly the other way around. What is dying What is given to the process of decay, what is mortal, is swallowed up in life, eternal life, as the New Living Translation puts it. Paul thought this way about the whole of creation. He says in the book of Romans, the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. This dramatic reversal of thinking captures the crux of the Christian hope that stems from the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Roy McMullen's earthly life has not been swallowed up by death. Roy McMullen's mortal existence has now been swallowed up by life, caught up in the resurrection life of Christ. I have no idea what that actually looks like. So I'm not going to try and paint any pictures for you of heaven or the afterlife. But what matters is not the form of the life beyond the grave, but the fact of it, and the fact that it is assured in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To those of you who were close to Roy, I want to encourage you just to reflect on this idea in the days ahead. I know that when you sit with someone who is dying, it feels like death is swallowing them up. But remember, Roy's earthly life has not been swallowed up by death. Roy's mortal, frail, vulnerable human existence has now been swallowed up by life, caught up in the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. I know that knowing that won't take away your sense of loss but it will make sense of your loss. Knowing that doesn't mean you won't be sad and experience grief but it will mean that your sadness and your grief will not overwhelm you. Knowing that does not deny the finality of the separation that has come with death to which you now have to become accustomed, but it will assure you that death is not final, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So let me move to the second phrase from this passage that I want to leave with you. Given the hope that we have as Christians, Paul goes on to say in verse 9 that whatever our condition, we make it our goal, we make it our aim to please him. Roy made it his goal to please him. The him that is referred to is God himself and his son Jesus Christ. Roy's sense of calling, his sense of vocation to pastoral ministry was clear. I don't know, maybe he had his doubts about it from time to time, but the way he gave himself, whether teaching in the college, preaching Sunday by Sunday, visiting in homes, ministering to the dying, encouraging the young, it was Roy's goal, Roy's aim, to please him. I've never met or worked with anyone with such a passion for people. For who visiting people in their homes, in hospital, in prison, or wherever, was as natural as breathing. He didn't do it out of fear. He didn't do it because he was afraid of the final judgment. He did it out of love. Love for God, And love for people. He took the great commandment seriously. And I think that both the scriptures that we have heard read to us. And Roy's life for which we give thanks today. Challenge us about our own goals and ambitions. Paul says elsewhere in Colossians. Whatever you do. Whether in word or deed. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. The driving force in Roy's life was this goal, this aim, to please him, to please the Lord. He didn't do it for the money. There was blessed little money in pastoring. And I know that was certainly true in the early days of pastoral ministry for the family. He didn't do it for the glory. There's nothing particularly glamorous about faithful pastoral work which was the main emphasis of his ministry. And he didn't do it for the lifestyle. Long hours, constant availability, risk, and danger, not least at the height of the troubles on the Antrim Road. Now, trust me, pottering around in a Toyota Yaris isn't exactly the high-rolling lifestyle. But that's where the integrity lay. People were not a means to an end for Roy. Their problems weren't a means to benefit his lifestyle. The financial and material rewards for the R's and the weight of caring were never the driving force. His goal was to please him. And that speaks to us all. Because reflecting on and giving thanks for Roy's life is an opportunity to reflect on our own. It's perfectly reasonable to set a range of goals for yourself in your career, in your family life, in your professional life. But what's the number one goal? The one above all others that defines your life. Because the number one goal is going to affect everything else you do. And if that is a selfish goal, it's going to infect everything that you do. So is your number one goal to be successful, to be rich, to be powerful, to be noticed, to be in control, or maybe realistically, just to get through? Well, I wish you the best. But if this scripture which we have read and the life of Roy McMullen for which we give thanks today have anything to say to us here today, it is this, make it your goal, your aim to please him. What other goals you may have for your life, make it your goal to please the Lord. And the final phrase I want to highlight comes from the passage that Andrew read for us in Matthew chapter 25, and especially that phrase, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. The Matthew 25 passage is part of the section of Matthew's gospel that is set in the final days of Jesus' ministry in Jerusalem. In that area. Jesus and the disciples were having a private meeting on the Mount of Olives which overlooks Jerusalem and Jesus has just told them two parables about being ready and being good stewards. The parable of the ten virgins, the five wise and the five foolish and the parable of the talents and the use of the resources. And then Jesus paints a picture for them which is in literal terms very hard to imagine. The idea of all the nations gathered before a throne on which the Son of Man is sitting, this vast array of people. It's like trying to get your head around the concept of space travel or light years or something. You know, if you stop to think about it, what on earth, what sort of image is this that Jesus is giving us? And then this vast array is divided into two communities, the sheep and the goats. And then the king will say, to those who he refers to as the righteous. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Come and enter into your reward. And then there is this delightful kind of innocence expressed by someone. Now that I can understand by those who are about to receive this great reward, and they say, Lord, when did we see you hungry? Or thirsty? Or a stranger? Or needing clothes? Or sick? Or in prison? I know people like that. I know people with that genuine innocence who would ask that question of the Lord when they stand before him. People who love people who care, people who just get on and see to the needs of others without thinking about it, without agonizing over it, and do it as their witness for Jesus Christ. And I can perfectly easily imagine Roy McMullen asking that question. Lord, when did I see you? Because serving the least, however you choose to define the least, was just part of what he did instinctively. Jesus says, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. It was and is a means of achieving the goal of pleasing him. As we reflect on the scriptures and a life well lived in the service of God and others, what do they say to us? They say that if you want to achieve the goal of pleasing him, you need to be blind to prejudice. You need to be blind to a person's color. You need to be blind to their status. You need to be blind to their race. You need to be blind to their gender. You need to filter out everything else that you hear about them. To achieve the goal is to serve others without distinction, without preference and without favor, which is exactly why we have the kind of very diverse community of people sitting in this room today, giving thanks for the life of Roy McMillan. <coughs> to achieve the goal and please him is to notice the unnoticed, like Jesus did, with the widow in the temple, where nobody else paid attention to her. It is to touch the untouchables like Jesus did with the leper who fell before him and begged that Jesus would help him. It's to have compassion for the fallen like Jesus did with the woman at the well. Or the thief up a tree called Zacchaeus, Or a thief on the tree at Calvary. The means to achieve the goal of pleasing him is to feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, visit the sick and the prisoner to live well as a faithful witness to and follower of Jesus Christ. You know, I reckon Roy did every one of those things that's in that Matthew 25 list, and most of them many, many times over. We have come to give thanks for the grace of God in the life of Roy McMillan, a grace that saved him, a grace that called him into pastoral ministry, a grace that gave him this family and a grace that gave him to us, a grace that sustained him and enabled him as a husband, a father, a grandfather, a brother and a friend. We have come to give thanks to God for the grace of God made known and lived out well in the life of Roy McMullen, So what do we do now? Go and enjoy some tea and buns that have been prepared for us. Back to normality. Or do we, using the text that I've often heard Roy use at funerals, heed the words of Psalm 90. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a wise heart. And here we are, challenged to number our own days and be wise. So we take comfort in knowing that what is mortal is swallowed up in life. We're presented with the challenge to make it our goal to please him. And we learn from the scriptures and the life of Roy McMullen that whatever we do for the least, we do for Jesus. And when it comes to our names being on one of these, what will be said of us? Will it be that our lives have been swallowed up in the resurrection life of the risen Christ? Will it be said that she made it her goal to please him? That he made it his goal to please the Lord? Will anyone be able to read Matthew twenty-five as an honest reflection on my life or yours? May God grant us grace. Amen.
4: Thank you, David. I just want to add one other thought. I received an email on Friday from someone from Germany who, on hearing of Roy's passing, wrote this. For me, Roy was a wonderful Seelsorger, a German word meaning one who looks after someone's soul. And I sense that was the experience of many here. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the end of this service, we thank you for the truth and the hope of all that has been shared and read and prayed and sung. We thank you for Roy, a godly seal-sorker, and praise you for the example of his life and ministry and its impact and influence. Thank you for all that you did in and through him. And as we honour his memory, we thank you for the years shared with him, for the good we saw in him, and the love that so many here and beyond receive from him. Gracious God, divine comforter, ever-present help, we tenderly commit Diane to you. Andre. And Helen and Hannah, and Philip, and Margaret and Terry, and Jim and Joel, be their refuge and strength, and reassure them of your continuing love and constant presence, and our prayers and ongoing support. And now we ask you to give each of them and us the courage and the confidence to leave Roy in your care. Convinced of the promise of eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, Roy's Lord and Saviour, we pray. Amen.
0: Before we conclude this service with a final hymn, I want to mention a few important practicalities. And you'll notice on this program that any donations will be made to the Esophageal Patients Association, founded and chaired by Roy, and there are baskets at both doors as you go out, so please feel free to leave a donation for that purpose. And as David has already hinted, there's tea and buns, and you're all welcome to join us if you're able to stay. I want to say thanks to Maureen Lindsay and to the helpers from Pulse. And the food is available in the adjacent hall. There's a bit of a logistics because the folk in that hall will need to exit. And let me just explain what will happen. First of all, as we conclude the service, we'll remain standing as the family lead us out through this door to your left as we go out. Keep turning left and left again, and you'll get into the hall where you'll pick up food and continue right through. Keep turning left until you get back in here. The family are not going to meet you on the way in, but they will have seats here in the pulpit area. And you would be more than welcome to greet them as you come back through with your tea and coffee on your way to your seat. So please do make an opportunity to do that. And as you chat to them, recognize there's probably many others coming behind who want to express their greetings and their love to Diane and the family. Finally, please note that Malone Avenue is a one-way street. So when it comes to leaving the premises altogether, forget about this turning left. You've got to turn right. And if you're going out onto Malone Avenue, please do turn right as you exit the car park. But thank you for your presence here today. Roy's hope, as we have heard, is not laid in a lambed graveyard. But we rejoice today that the tired, failing body of Roy, so familiar with suffering, has given way to eternal joy in the presence of one who knew that plan for Roy's life and who now says to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will now put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. There is a hope that burns within my heart, that gives me strength for every passing day. Let's stand together and sing. And now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen.